What up, what up? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development, one tip at a time. Thank you for joining me for another self-improvement sit-down. As you probably know, I usually share a two-minute personal development technique, approach, or exercise that provides a little fuel to give something new a try. It's introduced amazing things into my own life and my routines, and I know it's done the same for many others. But that's not what we're doing today. In our self-improvement sit-downs, we take the time to understand the patterns and perspectives of thought leaders as they dive deep into their expertise. Today's guest is an inspiring individual who I am truly honored to have had this conversation with. This is self-improvement sit-down number 22 with Alex Sheen. And we are live. Today's guest is an absolute inspiration. His name is Alex Sheen, and he is the CEO and founder of the nonprofit Because I Said I Would. The concept was born after Alex's father's unfortunate passing in 2012, and after giving his father's eulogy titled Because I Said I Would in honor of his father's best quality, Alex gave out promise cards and encouraged people to carry on his legacy through promises made and kept. Because I Said I Would has since sent out over 11.3 million promise cards to 153 different countries and has gone a step further implementing character education programs to help kids become more self-aware and act with more self-control. Because I Said I Would is an international movement and we have the man at the heart of it all with us today. Alex, it's an honor. Thank you for being here and thank you for what you do. I appreciate the time. Yeah, I, I think kind of uh, laying down the framework of what Because I Said I Would really stands for is the commitment of a promise. And I think the, the best place to start is just to get really clear on what is a promise and over time, what has it come to mean to you? Yeah, so if you look at Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a promise is a statement telling someone you'll definitely do something. Um, and that's basically it. You know, it, it, the spe- specificity of it isn't actually that much. It's just a statement telling something you'll definitely, somebody you'll definitely do something or something will certainly happen in the future. So with that, a promise can mean so many things. A lot of people have this um, almost misnomer that like, oh, promise, it's got to be when I say that word, right? It's when I say I promise and then it's a promise. I'll even have people come up to me and say, you know, you know, sometimes I'm kind of wishy-washy, but if I say promise, I really mean it. And I understand why that might be, but that's not actually the root and dictionary definition of the word promise. If you say something so simple as yes, like, will you be there on Thursday, 6 p.m.? You're going to be there, right? Yes. That is a promise in in, in the realest of, of terms. So I think that a lot of times we break promises because we don't look at all of our commitments at the, in the same level of seriousness. And that's a slippery slope. Yeah, no, I, and that's actually something I was thinking this morning after preparing for this interview. I was thinking that it's it's super interesting how because I said I would has taken the form of a promise because I realized be, because I said I would really just says, you know, like I made this commitment and doesn't, like you said, it doesn't have to actually be verbatim. I promise to do this. So I'm really glad. That's so funny. I had this moment uh, this morning and you've already acknowledged kind of my concern of, oh, you know, this is truly what a promise is and that we're often making promises that we don't necessarily understand. And I think that is kind of the interesting part of a promise is there's two sides to it. You know, there's the intentional side, like you're talking about, which is a premeditated commitment to something you authentically want, right? You're in the zone, you're committed to it. 
Um, but kind of what you're mentioning is you can also get caught up in the moment and make a promise that you either can't keep or you'd prefer not to keep, but you just got wrapped up in it. And I think that's a problem that pulls a lot of people away from what they want to or should be doing. So I guess kind of I'd love for you to kind of share how can we be better about keeping promises and keeping them meaningful to what we truly intend? Because I feel like there's a lot of gray area there sometimes. I think you touched on something that's incredibly important and not always intuitive for, for some, which is understandable, is, is how important the courage of no is. Hmm. You can't make everybody happy. You know, people pleasing at its core is a good thing, right? You have an intention to help others, to do good in this world, to make people happy. That's, that's not bad. But if we're making a bunch of promises that we can't keep or won't keep, we're disappointing people along the way and we're not doing favors for anyone. A no right now is going to be a lot less heartache than a broken promise later. And I think that's what we have to realize is a part of not only just being a person of your word, but being a person of character at large. Certainly keeping your promises is a part of being a person of your character, but being a person of your character also is going to have a lot of moments of resistance, of no, of standing up for something. And, and sometimes that comes in these small little flashes, these little moments where someone's asking you to do something that you shouldn't do and you know you shouldn't do. And now you just got to say that. Um, I was actually just, you know, writing out this quote uh, I saw from Frederick Douglass. I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence. Hmm. You know, we, we've got to look at our values sort of in that way, where we value that decision, that those ethics as much as we value peer pressure and the opinions of the masses or even just a couple of people in the room. Easier said than done, but I think that is when you're truly living uh, by your word. Yeah, and I think that comes back to having clarity about what a promise means and understanding that you are making promises oftentimes unknowingly and that there's real power behind it. Um, and kind of, I actually love that you've kind of spent the time in advance to go through kind of what are the what's the code of honor, as you put it, for your uh, organization, but also kind of what are your personal core values? Because in order to live in integrity to those values, you need to have them set up front. And that's something that I think a promise actually kind of leans into is it's, it's having the right intention and making a pre-commitment to the way that you want things to be. And then in so you're providing that accountability to actually fulfilling based on those intentions, which is really powerful and something that we can all embody. And I know that's something that's in your character development programs as well. But before we touch on that, because that's definitely a conversation, I want to kind of get into what is it about a promise um, that is so binding, that's so powerful? You know, mm -hmm. like, of course, you kind of, you're talking about just the emotion behind you don't want to let people down. But like, why is that? Like, what is that kind of psychological or emotional pull that keeps us so accountable to promises specifically? Yeah. So if you look at the human brain, right, you put somebody in an MRI. And you start asking them questions about the future, right? The frontal lobe of our brain will start to light up. Now, the frontal lobe is responsible for many different things. The human brain is hard to understand, but it lights up for certain responsibilities, certain tasks. And one of those tasks is future planning. 
And that's interesting, this concept of future, right? Because we are one of the only organisms that has a comprehension of what the future actually is. Now, certainly you can look at squirrels and bears and certain hibernation uh, patterns. You can say, well, they kind of know what the future is, but not really, honestly. Those are sort of almost knee-jerk reactions that you can artificially um, stimulate and cause to happen. They, they are not thinking about the future in the way that a human is, right? Because when we're little kids, and when I say little kids, I mean like middle school, we're saying, oh, I, gotta, I have to do well here because then I got to do well in high school and I got to pass these tests and then I got an ACT score. I got to go to right, college, got to graduate college, got to meet somebody and have to get a job and then I got to have wife and kids and save for retirement. That's probably a million dollars. And it's like our whole life is just worrying. But then someone says to you, someone says, Brian, this is what the future is going to be. I promise you that. This is exactly what's going to happen. Just you wait. It almost calms a biological part of us, perhaps that frontal lobe, when someone can take one of the most unique and valuable skill sets that we have as beings, future planning, but then calming that because that same skill, that same aptitude also creates anxiety, worry, panic, and a, nu a, a number of emotions that we'd rather live without. So I think that's why a promise really grips us so emotionally and at a deeper level than just some sort of sad-sounding story, some sort of inspirational rah-rah type of thing. I really do think it, it is literally biological. And there that, that's the reason why I don't care if you find an isolated tribe in the middle of a, of a jungle who knows essentially of no one else. In that isolated tribe, you will see the importance of a promise living every single day. I believe in, in some way it was born inside of us. That is very, very interesting. And I, I have a background in neurobiology and psychology, so I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around what I know about the brain and kind of what you're describing. And I just made a kind of interesting connection. I'm curious to kind of hear what you think. But so when you're talking about kind of future planning, there's almost an uncertainty or a doubt and you're almost projecting how are you going to feel emotionally in that future kind of world. And it's bridging the gap between the doubt and the uncertainty that you have. A promise is actually something that gives you more clarity and more certainty that you're going to be safe or be happy or be fulfilled or all of these kind of emotions and traits that we value as humans, that that's going to be present in a future state. And, you know, that's kind of how we're different than squirrels and bears and kind of what you talked about is that they're planning and it's biologically and it's almost kind of a script that's running because that's for their survival. But for us, it's more based on our emotion and our well-being. And you're right. Like a promise totally makes that shift in that it helps you to emotionally invest in the future because you can be more clear. You're not going to be let down. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that's totally biological. That's really interesting. I'm curious to kind of dig into the science of that as well because um, there's, there's something real to that. And I guess kind of along that vein then, if we want to take it a step further, what is the, the consequence of a broken promise? You know, if there are these future plans and you're getting people invested in you, you know, I'm sure there's a, con a consequence within relationships, but kind of in your opinion, what is the true consequence of a broken promise? Yeah, I, I like to give an example that's actually not very meaningful, but eventually gets us to more meaningful thought. Uh, 
And that's a commitment that you might make to go to a wedding. Okay. Now it's not the most important humanitarian promise, but at least gives us something we can all understand and, and, and a foundation to talk about. So you get an RSVP, you say, hey, are you coming to this wedding? You check yes, right? And then you send that back and they start planning the wedding. They may choose, well, one, they're going to order enough food for you and that's by the plate from the caterer. And they may even choose to expand how much of the venue they're taking up that could come with extra costs. They're going to also maybe say someone else is not coming, right? Like they put you on that list and specifically took someone off that that final list because they made room for you. But then the day comes along of this wedding, you decide not to come because you don't feel like it. And they've incurred the hard costs of, of that food. The food is already made. Now we're throwing away food waste. Average American can uh, creates 4.4 pounds of trash a day. And the biggest thing is, is actually food waste. Uh, you, you, somebody else could have enjoyed that moment, but they're not. It's, it's, just a number of examples in this kind of basic um, basic promise that shows you the consequences, the rippling effects of your promises. And, and, and with that, I believe is true with all the promises that we make. Um, when you say you're going to hang out with somebody, they could have done something else. They could have made plans. And by the time you break the promise, you've crossed a point of no return, meaning that person now can't go out and do something. They, they already denied other opportunities. They've already boxed out this time for you. And when you didn't show up, uh, that a lot of that opportunity cost is now cemented in reality. It cannot be recovered. So I know I'm talking about this in sort of an almost an economic type of way, but the realities of it are, are certainly more than numbers, dollars, uh, and, and just general potential. Think about New Year's resolutions, right? Those promises. I'm going to quit smoking. That's been on the list since basically cigarettes were discovered to cause cancer and so many other health-related mm-hmm. uh, illnesses. You know, so when you don't keep that promise, it is possible that you will die. Uh, I I know that promises for some people seems like this kind of even sometimes playful thing, right? Like pinky promises or I promise you and love promise. I, I get that. Like every word does have certain correlate correlations to different things or connections in people's minds. But you have to realize that when we do not fulfill some of these commitments, it can result in literal death. Mm-hmm buckling your safety belt. I mean, I know these are small things, but they're within our control. And they're also things that we do commit to. Uh, now, are we going to keep those promises or not is is an, a, another question. So um, I, I do think the consequences of our promises, I mean, it's our legacy. It, it's, it was, it's my father's legacy. And whether or not someone at your funeral, Brian or mine, talks about promises, the the consequences of our commitments that's going to be our legacy and there is no choice to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, and what they would do talk about is kind of what do you stand for? And that's exactly what, because I said it, what it was born out of is what did, you know, your father stand for and how can that continue on? So whether, you know, someone is known for keeping promises or something else, you know, just being there for other people, then you just want to make sure that that value 
reigns true. And I, I love that example you just said about buckling your seatbelt because it is such an easy thing to do. And the consequences of it, of not doing it, I should say, are 0.001% that you're going to experience a real consequence. But then you come back to your identity and your value saying, hey, I want to take care of my safety because I have all of these reasons to live. I have all of these reasons to make that choice. And you can almost establish that ahead of time by being very rigid in acting in alignment with your values. And that's actually a perfect transition to something I'm extremely impressed by your organization, something you spent a lot of time on is uh, the Because I Said I Would Code of Honor, which is um, which is dead on. It's something that's really powerful. And it's uh, it's basically boiled down into a few different categories. So the first is self-control, then sacrifice, honesty, hope, contemplation, and accountability are a few of those pillars. But the one I want to touch on because it's so relevant to what we've been talking about and, and making promises is compassion. And in the description for compassion, you have that doing what is right is always more important than keeping a promise. And especially for an organization that stands for promises made and kept, I think that's just even more powerful that that statement can actually ring true. And I would just love for you to elaborate on why that's true and why that's important to remember. Yeah. So pardon the seriousness of what I'm about to say, but the Nazis made a lot of promises and they kept a lot of those promises. It is not enough to make and keep a promise. It, it, it is, it is, it is not enough to, say, I'm going to do this and it's accomplished. That in itself means almost nothing. What is it that you promised? Did you promise something good for this world? Right? That's the, that's the most important question because doing a bunch of stuff that is meaningless or even evil in the case, of course, of the, uh, of Nazi fascism, you, you've got to understand where that compass is pointing to, to have strength, to have wealth, to have power alone means nothing. What are you going to do with that? And that's what a promise begs us to ask and why compassion is the most important of our seven in, uh, elements of honor in the Because I Said I Would Code of Honor. Because that is the direction. You know, it, making keeping promises alone is, I mean, again, coming from me, is meaningless. It's not meaningful. Doing it for for no reason isn't um, isn't a good reason. And so it just turns out, it just so happens that what kind of promises do we make? What is the natural intuition of the human condition? It's to make promises that help this world, right? That are compassionate, that better ourselves. That's why we see things like. New Year's resolutions so consistently involving positive things. That's why with almost 12 million promise cards sent around the world by request only, we're not seeing um, things that are, are violent or things that are selfish. A vast majority of the time, it is something to help your family, a community, a cause, something with, with a higher and greater purpose than just oneself. And and so, yes, intention and, and purpose of what that promise was even designed to do is is really the beginning and the end of, of everything. I'm so glad you touched on that. I mean, 
it's it just speaks to your character first off in that you need you need to have the right intentions and in that we all have it inside of us we all know what's best for the world we all know what we can that how we can show up and how we can actually contribute to a better world and and understanding that <laughs> our promises are usually crafted around that and of course there are times in history when you know I people believe that they're doing things again the Nazi example is a little extreme but you know people believe that they're doing things for the betterment of the world and you know when obviously there aren't and that gets really complicating because there's a psychology to it and kind of understanding exactly what you stand for and that's why it's perfectly fitting you know as an element in your code of honor as one of your core values because you need to have clarity on that before anything else which I think is extremely important it's foundational um and then and then kind of bouncing from there into kind of what you touched on at the end, which is kind of like choosing it for yourself and understanding that we have that within us to, you know, and we actually have this genuine kind of responsibility that we all feel um, to, to be positive. Maybe that's biological too, but to kind of support something good rather than to support something evil. Um, I know that that's something that you have taken very seriously in your life. And at the age of 26, when your father passed, you basically dedicated your life to serving others, which is under another uh, element of the code of honor, which is sacrifice. And I think that sacrifice is so important uh, when you're thinking about trying to create a better world and understanding that sometimes to accomplish a promise, you do need to sacrifice because you are fulfilling um, that future state that you've promised. And I, I just kind of would love for you to, to explain to us kind of what what your response, your personal responsibility has been like to serve and why you feel so called to continue in on this work and, and what all of us can do. What can we learn from you to find more areas to be of service in our lives? Because we can use so much more of it. So there's a quote from a very wise person, um, Spider-Man's uncle, okay? <laughs> Spider-Man's uncle, Uncle Ben, once said, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. And I don't know if you felt ever felt this way, Brian, like when you were a kid, maybe you're watching TV and you see a billionaire or a famous athlete or a politician or whatever that might be, and they've got all this strength, all this power, and you're watching a news segment about how they have squandered that, about how they've stolen or they've used it to take advantage of other people um, or that this person has abused someone, you know, and, and we say to ourselves as these little kids just right in front of the glow of a screen, we say, well, if I ever got there, if I ever got that rich, if I ever got that powerful, if I ever got that strong, uh, I would do it differently. Hmm. Well, I too said something like that to myself and now it's time to pay the piper. I, I believe that not everyone needs to quit their job and, you know, give all their money to a charity and make those sacrifices and whatever woe is me moment we want to have. Um, I don't think that's everybody's job. I, I think that I was just put in a spot where um, with great power comes great responsibility. I was handed something that most people – uh, we'll never see. Um, and and they don't need to see too. Cause how about this? Did you know that 75.1% of all Americans do not volunteer a single hour in an entire year? There are so many things that average Americans, everyday people, all of us can go do 
And, and that is the solution, not one person giving up their lives for a cause. Um, those, those moments may have their significance. Those moments may create momentum or may be necessary in some regard. But what is actually needed is the individual contributions of the everyday man and woman. We need to be a part of the solution in a way that involves personal accountability, not pointing the finger at someone else, pretending like that's going to solve it. No, we're not responsible for all the world's problems, but we should at least be responsible enough ourselves to contribute to something, you know? And so this thought of sacrifice, I think most people should just look at it as a Saturday afternoon, right? I'm going to go volunteer at a soup kitchen. I'm going to clean up trash in my community. I'm going to go vote, you know? These, these contributing to society comes in many different ways. And, and so I don't think it always has to be this uh, movie moment sacrifice. And I, I, I just think it's just a little hard work. That's all. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you approached it from that angle, actually, because I've, I've had some reflection currently, you know, I do volunteer a good amount and something that I do is I go to Mexico and I help build a house and it's 48 hours, the walls go up, the roof's on top of a family. Um, you know, they were sleeping on the dirt prior, you know, that's something that's real tangible and it works and it's important. But then I compare that kind of weekend of service to someone who's an absolute hero. Her name's Jessica. I have a great relationship with her and she has volunteered her life to move to Mexico to service the orphans that are in the orphanages locally. And she just had kind of a moment from God where she said, this is my calling. This is what I want to do. And then when I, I kind of reflected on myself and, okay, what is, what am I going to do? What am I going to dedicate my life to? Is there a cause? And you're so right. Is that, you know, with great, (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility. You know, she had this powerful moment. So then she took the responsibility but that doesn't mean that everyone has that same requirement. You know, that's what she sees as her role in her life. And I have my role in my life and the average American has their role in their life. And I think you're absolutely right that the solution is to activate the average person and to make them more aware of what they can truly do and what they can accomplish and give them the resources to do so. And that's actually something I'd love to connect with you uh, outside of this interview is kind of, I have ideas of how to Uh, how to redistribute wealth and how to make the average person feel more empowered to give back to causes and to have that dollar go farther because there's some organization behind the way they're spending their money. Anyway, that's, that's something for us to connect on another time, but something, something that's related to all of this too. And it's kind of um, core to this thought is what you're doing now in your character uh, education program. So you're going into schools, you know, this is the future of, because I said it would, you're going into schools and you're introducing kids to the power of their commitments and their mentality and understanding like look you can create a life you can see the vision you just gotta you know understand and be aware that it's possible and uh you know and one of the tactics that i'm a huge advocate for that i'd love for you to share more about is kind of the power of a pre-commitment and how how you know there are literally ways that we can be more effective at fulfilling promises just based on designing around the promise and you know that, that education is going to reach the average kid who then shares it. And that is the ripple that you're looking for on kind of that median level of awareness. Um, but just, I'm, I'm always fascinated to hear people's takes on pre-commitments. You know, I, I know them as Pax. Uh, Nir Ayal came on the podcast. He's the author of Indistractable and he talked about that. But kind of what's, what's the best way that we can use this opportunity of pre-commitments to kind of get people 
steered in the right direction and actually accountable to their promises, uh, at least at a little deeper of a level. Sure. So, you know, for those who um, may not be familiar with pre-commitment, I, I think the, one of the best ways to, to describe it is with an example. And this is looking at it, you know, as more of a, I guess, through the lens of like a, a psychologist or something like that in, in, um, in what pre-commitment means. The term, uh, I'm sure, has some flexibility. But uh, again, I think this example is a good one. Okay. If you have a gambling addiction, um, a life crippling gambling addiction, you cannot control yourself. You can go to a casino, walk in the door. I could say, my name is Alex Sheen. This is my ID. I don't want to ever let be let back into this establishment under any circumstance. If you see me come back in here, I want to be blacklisted permanently. And and this is this is possible to do in actual terms. You could say blacklist me for five years, ten years, twenty years, blacklist me forever. Right now, this is this certainly um, isn't across the country, but many casinos do do this, and that is pre-commitment. So, what then is the de- definition of pre-commitment? It's doing something in the present that physically limits your ability to do something in the future. Right. So your ability to stay committed to something, it's actually very clever because what it's doing is it's actually taking out the most difficult sometimes element of keeping a promise. It is removing self-control from the equation. I don't even have to control myself. Right. Because it's like I do this quick thing that's easy, doesn't require a lot of hard work and self-control. Doesn't I don't have to do anything. I just have to go in there. I sign this thing. And then I don't have to use my self-control. I'm not even allowed to do this anymore, right? Now, that is uh, a good example because it, it just it just so starkly highlights the value pre-commitment could have so, in someone's life and gives some specificity to a, a, a loose thing. But let's, let's bring it to, back to your life and my life, Brian, right? If we go to a Mexican restaurant, What's one of the first things they set on the table at a Mexican restaurant? Chips. They set down those chips. And Brian, if you put those chips in front of me, I'm going to eat every single one of them, <laughs> right? I might even eat those little those little tiny ones that like really don't even qualify as chips anymore, right? I'm still eating those. <laughs> you can use pre-commitment even in that moment. And and the the thing you can do is you can tell that waiter or waitress, say, hey, you know, I, I know the chips are free. But uh, I'm just going to pass on them. And, and, and by not having those chips at the table, you have followed the definition of pre-commitment. You did something in the present that limits your physical ability to do something in the future and thus removing a segment of, of self-control in, your, in, in that equation. Now, of course, you can go get more chips. So it's not pure pre, you know, it's not the purest example of pre-commitment, um, depending on how you look at it, but it's meaningful. But how many people really across the United States understand this concept, this habit, this tactic of pre-commitment? It's not something they teach in school, right? It's something you could have maybe intuitively picked up on as a strategy somewhere along the way. But no one taught me that. You know, I'm 34 years old and I would have lived the rest of my life not understanding that that could help me with my weight management. That can help me with my personal finances. That can help me even stay committed to humanitarianism in, in different ways. And so I think that, that pre-commitment is a very strong, uh, a strong strategy, a strong tactic 
because it removes the most difficult thing to master, which is self-control. I, I love that. And that's, that's so perfect too, because if you think about what self-control is, it's literally understanding what your previous intention was and then making yourself accountable to that intention when you're no longer in that same space when you set the intention. And that's what's so difficult about keeping promises or even just keeping commitments in general is that you find yourself in a new mental state with different triggers, different stimuli, and you try and basically have an unemotional decision when there are so many different factors that are clouding what you want to do. So taking that entire element out of it, you know, taking the self-control element out of it um, in advance with a pre-commitment is something that I use in my life. I think it's an extremely powerful vehicle to accomplish change and to stay accountable. And um, no, I, I'm glad that we were able to touch on that. Alex, this has been incredible. I mean, clearly uh, the movement has picked up, you know, in direct proportion to your knowledge with this because, yeah, I mean, you have become an expert in this space. And I know that you're speaking all over the place and sharing your message, but it clearly shines through. So I'm, I'm extremely impressed and thank you for coming on. But if, if there's one thing that we all can collectively take away from this experience and, uh, and kind of remember if, you know, there's that one takeaway that we can remember that you really want to make sure uh, comes home with us tonight, what, uh, what would that be? The world is in great need. And so you are needed. Uh, I know it is Depressing at times to hear that concentration camps still exist. It's disheartening to see our environment destroyed. It's sad to see children in the hospital. Um, and so we can kind of let that weigh us down to the point where we create these catastrophizing thoughts that, oh, it's so bad. There's nothing I can do about it. So why even try? Or you can realize that every action that you make, everything that you do in this space, in the social sector to help other people, it's actually needed. We're not like in this place where we're living in a utopia and all of our volunteer hours are just a bunch of fluffy nonsense that really isn't contributing to anything. It's just a bunch of stuff that makes us feel good for us. That is not the case. The world is actually in need and there is something you can do about it. Um, and so I think that's, I think in a weird way, we can see it as an opportunity for life purpose. I have, uh, you know, often wondered why we even exist, but uh, why well, I have no answer to that. I know, uh, I know, I know that we're not here to be in pain. Mm -hmm. I know, I know that we're not here to just suffer. That doesn't seem right to me. And so for all the questions that remain for me, I at least know that. And so that's what volunteerism does. That's what helping other people do. And if you point your promises in a compassionate direction, that's what you can do. So the world is in great need. You are needed. I don't think we should shy from that. We you know, take our bite-sized portions of how we can change the world or at least the world around us and and don't buy into this limiting belief that – um, nothing we do matters. I, I, th that is uh, the true cancer to this world. Wow. No, that's a great point. Something I say on the podcast all the time is take ownership of your personal development. But I think something that we can also say is take ownership of your capabilities and how you can serve. Because we, like you said, we all have something within us. You know, of course it exists at different levels because we're all unique, but tapping into what that is 
kind of uh, justifying what that is for ourselves is a huge step in the right direction. If we all are 1% better in that area, then the world is a million percent better. So that's, that's something that's really mm -hmm. powerful. Alex, you're an absolute man of service. It's, it's really inspiring to learn of your story and I look forward to supporting you in the future. But for now, thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. There you have it, Alex Sheen. As we talked about, Alex has dedicated his life to service and providing structured accountability and character development for those who need it. To back up to the beginning, we first talked about what a promise is and how its ability to predict a future state is a powerful emotional trigger. Then we talked about how many people make promises without even knowing it, which has created a systemic cycle of broken promises and low accountability to commitments. We also talked in detail about two elements in the Because I Said I Would Code of Honor, which are sacrifice and compassion, and how doing what is right is always more important than keeping a promise. I'm confident I'll be working closely with Alex in the near future to create something massive and impactful, and if you feel moved by this mission, then I highly encourage you to pursue next steps. One thing you can do is order promise cards of your own, and you can do that on the nonprofit website www.becauseisaidiwould.org. You can also read Alex's book, titled Because I Said I Would, to hear real stories about the changes the movement has brought to this world. And if you feel a personal responsibility to contribute to the cause, you absolutely can get involved on a grassroots level. There's information about that on the Because I Said I Would website, which I have linked in the description of this episode. You are amazing, and if there's anything I can ask of you, it's to find a way to be of service today. The world needs more of you and what you have to offer. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.